there's a show um, that was on, it was real, real popular a couple of years ago. And it was based on a real popular comic book and it was related to zombies. Um, and we watched it. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. It's been a couple of years. Um, so if you want to talk about pastors shouldn't watch that, I'll just say it's been a couple of years. <clears throat> um, so we, we would watch it. And, and my wife, uh, we, she watched the first couple of episodes with me. And it had been a week because we have a life and children. And so we were like, it's going to be a while before we get to watch the next episode. And so she had watched a couple of episodes with me. And then I said, a, couple, a week later, I said, hey, do you want to watch the next episode of that show? She said, no, I don't want to watch it. I do want to watch it, but I don't want to watch it. I said, what? What? What's wrong? She's like, the zombies, they're just too scared. Like I had nightmares. I, I'm a grown woman and I had nightmares and I don't want to watch the show anymore. I said, but... But what, like, didn't you, didn't you lie? Like, did you enjoy the storyline or you enjoyed the characters? She's like, it was so fascinating. It's so well written. The characters are so good and the story was so good. I just can't handle the zombies. Like, they're, I, I'm interested in the story, but not that much. So here's, here's the question. Please don't get distracted by the show or anything like that. The question, the question is this. What makes entertainment entertaining? What's that? Suspense, okay. Any other ideas? This is where you talk. Something you can engage and lock into, okay. What were you saying, Michelle? Humor, okay. Interest. Any other ideas? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something that grabs your attention, something that makes you laugh something that you can relate to. It's if, 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 if whatever it is that you're watching doesn't have much of a story or there's not some kind of personal tension or some kind of personal things at stake, you lose interest. It's not, you, you want to see drama. You want to see people interacting. You want to see people having to make hard decisions. That's what makes entertainment entertaining. It's the story. And today we live in a, in a society that, that we could like, we, gluttony was a sin before, but like now it's like gluttony of entertainment. Like we can entertain ourselves to death. We can find, if you want to listen to some kind of engaging, captivating story, like which one do you want? We can line it up. And there's all these different ways that we tell stories, that we hear stories, that we watch stories. It's just entertainment. Um, this morning, but uh, the, the point that I wanted to make, <laughs> that's a lot of words and that's, I've got your interest, right? Now I'm, I need to make my point. My point is this. <clears throat> the people who make those movies, the people that make those shows, the people that make those, they all have a worldview or a point that they're trying to get across. There are very few people who tell stories without a purpose. And so there's times where we just enjoy the story and don't think about what it means. We just enjoy the tension and the drama of it, but we're not thinking about what are they trying to convince me of in telling the story in the way that they do. And this happens all the time, and I don't really want to argue about different worldviews and whether Christian movies are good. That's not what I want to do. But I just want to say that there's, there's a message, and then there's the way that the message is communicated, right? And our attraction is to the way that the message is communicated. But what our challenge this morning is we need to get to the content of the message regardless of the way that it's communicated. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to do some heavy lifting. Can you go with me through that? Yep. All right. Well, let's pray. We'll get the Lord's help for it. And then we'll open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have the greatest story of all time, that 
Um, some people think that your story is the one that we just keep copying and, and fixing. The story that you've told over history, there isn't another one. We just keep telling the same story in different ways. Lord, um, I pray that this morning as we come to your word, Father, that, that your spirit would, would, um, would get its, its, <laughs> its fingers into our hearts, that the, the story, the text, the meaning of what it is that you want us to understand would just stick in our hearts, Lord. That the questions that pop up in our mind today would drive us to seek you out and to drive us to be closer to you as opposed to pushing you away and saying, I don't get it. Lord, we pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to understand your word, your spiritual truth. And Lord, that you would use it to shape our lives, not just this morning and this Sunday, but Lord, throughout the rest of the week and months to come. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So would you open with me or, or navigate to uh, 1 Corinthians? We're going to be in chapter 2. And if you're using the story Bible, it's on page 789. If you'd like a story Bible um, as a gift or to follow along with, I can get, get one to you. I've got a couple laying around. But we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'm going to pause there. We're in a series that's looking at common distractions, things that pull our attention away, and the heartbeat of our faith. And does anybody remember what the heartbeat of our faith is? You can do it in one word or a couple. Jesus, yes. Jesus is the heartbeat of our faith. What about Jesus? He lived and died for our sins. And that application of his salvation to our souls, he's working out. So Jesus is finishing the work that he started is the heartbeat of our faith. We keep coming back to Jesus and everything that he started in us, all the grace and the truth that he gave to us at the beginning, he's working out. We don't have it together yet. Anybody perfect this morning? <laughs> so the heartbeat of our faith, why we continue to come back to Jesus is because he's finishing the work that, he, that we started. And there are a couple of things that, that are just common distractions. They pop up all the time, not necessarily sinful, but they can get us off track. And so as Paul has writing, he's saying, I, I came, y'all are getting distracted by your leaders. You're, you're putting all your trust in your leaders. It's not about that. It's about that God uses um, his humbled servant. He uses things that don't necessarily make sense. And he says, y'all know this from your own experience. None of y'all were really smart to begin with. <laughs> None of y'all were like of royal birth and y'all didn't have all this money. Like whatever you have and whatever it is that you're standing on and, and pretending like you've got a control of, like it all came from God anyway, right? He says, this I can use you as an example. And now he turns in this chapter where we're picking up and he uses himself as an example. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come like the philosophers come. The guys who talk 
real pretty and have got a ton of wisdom and they orate very nicely. See, we've got our choice of what kind of entertainment that we wanna, that we wanna go to. Ancient entertainment looks kind of different. <laughs> they didn't have television or electricity or anything like that. So there were people who would walk around from city to city and they would argue. They'd set up philosophical like arguments and, and people would come and watch people debate other people. And it sounds incredibly boring to us, but there was drama in it. There was, there was you know, conflict and people would, would, would get into really heated discussions about this kind of thing. And so Corinth was, was a hub for that. Remember, Corinth is like Las Vegas. Like there, if, you, if you're looking for something, uh, to, you're looking for entertainment, you're looking for a bunch of money, you're looking for sex, like First Corinth or Corinth. Corinth is the place to go. Um, and so they've got all of these different people who want some of that money, and they come into Corinth, and they try to win arguments. And it's just common. Every, everywhere you go, there's a different, different philosophical debate. So what Paul is saying is, y'all know what an, what an entertaining and good orator sounds like. You know what a good preacher sounds like. And you know when I showed up preaching the word of God to you, there wasn't anything special about what I was doing. Because when I came to you, I decided in my heart that all I was going to know, I was going to pretend like all that I knew was that Jesus Christ died and he was crucified for your sin. Like that's, that's it. You, you, I'm going to be like a dumb, uh, a dumb ox. Like, well, what about this and this and this? He's like, all I know is that Jesus died for your sin and you've got to make a decision about that. Well, what about this other thing? What about how you deal with this? Like, well, all I know is that Jesus died and he's crucified for your sin, and you've got to make some kind of a decision about that. But what about this other thing, and how are you going to do these power structures, and what about the government, and how all the... All I know is that Jesus Christ died for your sin, and you've got to do something about that. See, if you've had any conversations with me, I hope that I reflect a little bit of that. That's usually my go-to. Like, if I don't know something, I'm like, well, all I know is that Jesus did something, and we've got to figure out what to do with what Jesus did for us. And that's what he's saying. He said, y'all know good speakers, y'all know entertaining people, and y'all know that I wasn't particularly entertaining. I can be, but I wasn't. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Here's the why. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, he understands that we can be distracted by the delivery of the message, so much so that we miss the message entirely. You can get to the place where I like that preacher so much, and I like the way that he explains things so much that you miss the things that he's explaining. You can miss the truth because you like the message so much, and you can train your ears to only listen to how one person does things, one person explains things, one person thinks through things, and not be able to internalize it for yourself and not be able to explain it for yourself. He said, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to give you the handicap of being dependent upon me for, for good preaching. So I didn't come to do, I didn't come and deliver everything really, really pretty so that you would think that Jesus is awesome today. And then next week when somebody talks better than me, you think that Jesus wasn't valid. I want to deliver to you the content of the message regardless of how I deliver it. Does that make sense? We understand. And what is the power of God? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, not in, not in pretty arguments, but in the power of God. Jesus, yeah. What was his message? Christ crucified. And what was the power of God? What's that? The resurrection raised him from the dead. Okay, and how would they know that? 
Like, how would that be a demonstration of the power of God? I'm going to take, what's that? When he rose again. Yeah, I'm going to take you back to chapter 1. Look over at chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, the, the power of God was that you trusted the message without the frills. You trusted the message and it changed your life. That you said, Jesus, I want to trust you for salvation. And now y'all are knitted together. This ragtag group of people that, that come from all different kinds of backgrounds, you're knitted together and God has enriched you with every spiritual blessing. And the power of God is that he changed your lives. And it wasn't because I delivered it to you in a pretty package. It was because you trusted in it and God did the work, right? So I came trying to deliver to you a message, to deliver you the content of the message so that you could see the power of God at work, not because i am got a particular gift of speaking well, but because you trusted God and God did his work. See, this is, this is the point of all of this of this whole section. Don't let the delivery of a message distract you from the content of the message. Don't let the delivery of the message distract you from the content of the message. There are times where I'm listening to people talking and go, I really like the way that they're saying that. And I'm thinking about the way that they're saying that, but not thinking about what they're saying. And this is really hard to teach and it can go positively or negatively. There can be people that don't explain themselves very well, but are saying something really true. And there are going to be people that explain themselves perfectly and are so convincing, but they're lying out of their teeth. It can go either way. So don't let the delivery of a message distract you from the content of what they're saying, whether they've got zombies or not. Don't let the delivery distract you from the content of the message. We on point with that? Okay. I kind of, that was hard to do. I kind of think that was the easy stuff we've got to get through this morning. Um, so we're going, to, we're going to continue on. Pick up with me in verse 6. <clears throat> Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, <laughs> although it is not of wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God has decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the, person, except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I'm going to pause you there. Don't read ahead. Okay. <clears throat> so this is a really, really interesting passage because some of the vocabulary that Paul uses is, is unique in this section. He doesn't use these words in any other way. And if you'll remember, I, I mentioned when we first started that essentially what we're doing here as we study 1 Corinthians is we're reading somebody else's mail. This is a letter that was a response to a letter. And so what I think is happening here is he's taking 
the things that the Corinthians had written to him, he's taking their vocabulary to explain something true. He's essentially using their words against them. That's the best I can do with the data that I have to explain why it is that he's arguing in the way that he is. So it sounds like they made some statements about wisdom and they made some statements about the rulers of this age and about authority and about the spirit. And he's taking these words that they used that they've misunderstood and he's reusing them to explain to them the truth. Does that, does that make sense? And because the tone that he's using with them, I'm sure you picked up on it, the tone that he's using here is corrective. He's trying to teach them something, right? So he says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. He's been going on for more than half a chapter about how, how the wisdom of God is greater than man, and we don't want wisdom, 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 wisdom. Well, this is to a culture of people that admired philosophers who argued in the streets. Who's saying it's not about the wisdom, it's not about how you communicate it. He's arguing against wisdom in the culture, but then saying, but there is a wisdom. And it's a wisdom that we haven't yet understood, and it's a wisdom that you're not hearing on the streets because it's the wisdom of God. And the rulers of this age haven't understood it. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified Jesus. So if if if, if people understood what it was that God was trying to do in the world then God wouldn't have been able to do what he was trying to do in the world. There's a challenge here that I pick up on. I don't know if you feel this tension, but sometimes knowing the will of God is the exact thing that will prevent you from doing it. He's saying, I hid these truths away from really, really smart people and people who studied my word. I hid them away because if they understood what I was trying to do, they never would have crucified Jesus. And hey, The cross, the crucifixion, that's the banner. That's the heartbeat of all of our faith, right? Then it wouldn't have happened if I had had let everybody in on what I was trying to do. There are things that I keep hidden. He says, who can understand the thoughts of a man except for the spirit inside him? We, We have really, really close relationships. Nobody knows me and how I think and the things that I'm concerned about more than Jesse. But ultimately, when it comes down to, all she knows is what I've communicated with her, either non, non-verbal or verbally. Like, there are things that I communicate non-verbally I don't even realize I'm saying to her, but she picks up on them real good. <clears throat> but, but there's a sense in which the only person who knows your heart is you. And it's the same about God. The only person, what, who knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God? Right? Does anybody claim to be able to, like, go into God's head and pull out some wisdom? No, it's a little bit ridiculous. And I, and I want to I be clear that as he's talking about the rulers of this age, there are, there are people in leadership that have to make pragmatic decisions. If you're, if you're in charge of something, you've got to make decisions based on what you can see. But he's saying if they had taken God into their consideration, their equation of what it is that was going on, then things would have gone differently. So I'm not saying that you can't make impragmatic decisions. I'm just saying that the will of God is done through people who might not even realize that they're doing what God wants them to do. Do you know people who you're looking at them going, I think you don't realize the things that God is doing in you. And I think if you did realize it, you wouldn't want to participate because when you get to the other side of this and I point you back to all the things that God was doing in your life and all the ways that he was taking care of you despite yourself, like, I don't think you're going to want to give him that credit when you get to the other side of this. That God uses everybody, whether they're willing participants or not. 
And knowing God's will doesn't mean that you would choose to do it. But what we, see, we admire the things that we can see. We like to make decisions based on what we can see. The, the hidden things of God, the things that God keeps behind the locked doors, we kind of wonder at them, but it's not really something we admire. We can't know what it is. How are we supposed to admire something that we can't see? And there's a whole thread of idolatry and, and not making a carved image that's there. It's there. If you're interested, let's talk about it. But I'm not going to get into it this morning. But here, the hidden things of God are not the things that we admire. We admire the things that we can see. And the things that we see is natural. It just makes sense. Of course. But the point that he's making is that there's more here. Let's read some more. I stopped in verse 11, and I'll read that again. For, the, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, if you're reading this and you're like me, there's a little bit of a cynical bone in your body. And you're taking verse, uh, verse 15. And for every time that that non-Christian friend says to you, judge not lest you be judged, you want to say, 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things. Like, that's not the point that he's making. Do you get what I'm saying? Y'all know that people know that verse, right? That's probably the only Bible verse that everybody in America knows is judge not lest you be judged. Right? Okay. What I want, what I, what I want you to pay attention to is who's talking to whom. Before you, before you start thinking, how am I going to communicate this spiritual thing to that non-spiritual person that doesn't know Jesus but is always trying to throw things back in my face? This is Paul, a spiritual leader, talking to the church at Corinth, spiritual believers who are acting a fool. They're trying to pretend like they've got more understanding than they actually do. And Paul is saying, Look, y'all don't get it. <laughs> there are things that you don't yet understand. And you're acting like a natural person. You're acting like somebody who isn't a natural, who, who doesn't have a spiritual category of how the world works. But we have the Spirit of God. That, that, remember that. We have the Spirit of God. Paul looks at the church in Corinth and says, We have the Spirit of God. If you've trusted in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God. It's astounding to me how often I need to be reminded of that. It's astounding to me how often that I'm going through life and I'm trying to figure out how things are working and I'm trying to just make, you know, make ends meet, just trying to live life. And I forget that Jesus has given us his spirit. Who has known the mind of God? But God has given us his spirit. We can understand the things that God has given us to understand. Amen? Like, is that hope? <laughs> like, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I, I'm thankful for a promise from God that we can understand the things that God has given us to understand. Amen. We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, in spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
as you're talking to people, understand that no matter how faithful you are, there are times where you'll say something that in your mind is completely off the cuff and doesn't make any sense, but I can guarantee you that the Spirit of God works through you in ways that you can't even imagine. There are times where I get done preaching and people come up to me and they ask me a question about something I don't even remember saying. Or, or they're like, that point that you made, like that just changed how I was thinking about this situation. And I'm like, that was an illustration. That wasn't even close to the point. Like the Spirit of God translates the truth of God into our lives in a way that is outside of our control. And so when you share your faith with people, you can well, they won't, they won't understand or they won't like me or, or, or they, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people. But what God is saying here is, I will do it. We read, we read about Jesus before he was, um, excuse me, we read about Jesus before he was crucified. He said that it's better for you that I go away. I'm going to send the helper. And, and what, does he, what does Jesus say that his, his job is? To convict the world of sin. It's not your job. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of all of that. All we've got to do is be faithful to being a testimony or the witness of what Christ is doing and continuing to do in our lives. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he's not able to discern them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We admire what we see as natural, but God's eternal guide is spiritual. It's really hard to find a picture for spiritual, like spirit stuff. It's weird. Anyway, we admire what we see as natural, but God's eternal guide is supernatural, which is a lot of words. The idea that I want you to get is that we admire things that we can see. It's real easy in life to, to be able to focus on a paycheck because you can see it and you can see the red lines in the bank account. You can see that. It's very easy to get focused on the number of people that are sitting in your church on a Sunday morning and not realize that the, the work that the Spirit of God is doing through each of the people represented here. When I see you, I don't just see you. I see the people that I know that are connected to you, that I have heard the stories about how God is working in them through you. We get distracted by the things that we can see. We admire the things that we can see that are natural. But God's eternal guide, eternal guide, his perspective is a little bit bigger than ours. It's supernatural. It's beyond the natural, what we would understand as something that's natural, existing naturally in the world. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of words, a lot of ideas. Um, I really, really wrestled with how, how do we apply this? What are, what are the things, how do we take this text, which is, is very up in the clouds, and apply it to us? I said to somebody last week, they said, that was a great sermon. I said, yeah, now's the hard work. It's, it's one thing for us to come together and do church together. The hard work is going out into the world and applying the things that God has done in our hearts on, on a Sunday morning. The hard work isn't mine. The hard work is y'all's and what you choose to do with it. So here's the questions. How have you responded to the simple message of Christ crucified? Is it your banner? Is that how you define yourself? Is that how you identify yourself? Are you somebody who says, I believe that in my head, but I'm not sure that that has been translated into my heart in a spiritual way. Like, I'll accept that as a principle, 
but I'm not sure that it's changed my heart yet. Or have you leaned into it and said, yeah, I trust him for salvation, but there's got to be more than this. Like, like salvation is one thing, but there's got to be, there's, there's more to it. There's more truths. There are other things I need to go back to. And every time I get myself there, because I get there sometimes, oftentimes, God keeps bringing me back to the cross. He did so much there that we didn't understand it on the first pass. And we continue to be drawn back to him. So how are you responding to the simple message of Christ crucified? And where are you looking for natural answers to spiritual questions? Remember, this text was written from a spiritual leader to spiritual people. And we as spiritual people can be distracted by the things that we see. And there are times where we can look for natural answers to spiritual questions. The reverse is true. We can look for spiritual answers to natural questions. But, but the point of the text here this morning is where are we looking for natural answers to spiritual questions? And who are you sharing spiritual truths with? See, there was an assumption, and I, don't, I hope that you picked it up. There's an assumption here in verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. There's an assumption here that as God gives you spiritual truth, there's an assumption here that as God gives you spiritual life and renews you, that there's a component of sharing that. So who are you sharing spiritual truths with? Who's, who are the people that you're talking Like, I don't think I get what exactly God's doing. Michael keeps telling me to look back to the cross, but I thought I understood what that was about. Like, what is this? How has this helped me this week? Who are the people that you're sharing spiritual truths with? And my hope is that you'll share it with us as a church. But I, and I, I'm aware that there are other, other bodies around that, that God's work is bigger than our work here. But I do think that he's given us a special opportunity. Real special. Everybody, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room I've had the conversation with, all of us can agree that this is the smallest church we've ever been to. Okay, Fine. That's an asset in some ways. There are things that we can do as a small body that super mega churches can't do. And one of those things is we can get involved in each other's lives in a way that, that, that is, is impactful. And I'm so grateful for those opportunities. So who are you sharing spiritual truths with? As you consider that, I'd invite you to write it on the connection card <laughs> and leave that in the basket in the entryway as you go out, um, just as a way, a way to communicate to us um, if, if you, we don't get to meet up afterwards and talk afterwards, it's a way that we can continue to follow up throughout the week because the hard work starts now. So let's take a few minutes and we'll pray together um, about these questions and about the text and about what God is doing this morning. And we'll close in, in singing together. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.